I don't really have a good introductory thing lined up yet. Well, you could just say, Hello, everybody! Welcome to the... whatever you want to call this. We are these people oozing with confidence and self-loving andness and all that kind of weird stuff. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I should just let you host the show. Yeah, obviously. Oh, sure! I, I'm happy to do that if you want. I mean, you know. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the show, and my name is Tannen. My name's Kaylee. Hi. Oh, hi, my name's Abraham. Sorry, that was that was my error. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> uh, shall we just start again, or? No, no, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is this is a fun hijink for the beginning of the, the, the podcast. Why, why not? Why not? Hello, everybody. We've, we, we've, you know, gone through our first interesting bit together, I guess, um, in our little confusion but never mind maybe we can edit this out who knows maybe we should start again <laughs> no i think we're good okay, okay good all right that's that's pretty good so first topic of the day will be technology one of the interesting things i've come across is elon musk's new company called Neuralink. now apparently his company will uh do brain surgery and insert these fiber optic wires into your brain so that you can essentially directly connect to the internet and you can let's say download french and you'll instantly know french and how to speak it <laughs> read and write it oh well that that ruins my entire degree <laughs> 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 yeah. Does it ruin mine? Yes, I'm, I'm studying languages, if you didn't pick that one up. But anyway, that's, that, that's not so good for me. You know, oh well, never mind. One thing that this technology will allow is that if you were to have some brain disease like Alzheimer's, if you were to have something that's affecting your brain or a stroke where you lose control of half your body, this technology will essentially allow you to regain control of that portion of your oh, body wow. and will also allow like the, the same or greater mental, not, not mental capacity, mm -hmm. but mental strength, if you will. Yeah. yeah, totally. As that of normally functioning person. Mm -hmm. And apparently this technology will be out for the general public by next year. Well, that's, that, that is very interesting. It reminds me a lot of the transhumanist movement, if you're familiar with that. You know, the, the, the kind of people who, you know, want to get robot arms and download and upload their brains onto the internet and all that kind of stuff. Uh, obviously, it's a little more, um, I'm sure it's a little more productive than some of the, the other demands of the transhumanists. But either way, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic. I think one of the things to be aware of, though, is especially in, in regards to brain function and all that kind of stuff, is that, you know, if we take a postmodern approach to it, which I'm not necessarily implying that we should, but, you know, I, I personally might be more inclined to do designating something as, you know, working or not working in a mental capacity instead of sort of accepting neurodivergency and neurotypicalness. It, it, it might cause a bit of problems in sort of instituting some kind of hierarchical form of mental prowess, which, you know, might, might not be, uh, might not be in our best interests. But I, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? In other words, I think what I got out of that was <laughs> uh, that as far as I understand it, people that have this done will be more suited for certain jobs better than the average mm -hmm. person. You'll be less likely to be hired. Oh, I see. So, yeah. So it's it's sort of in the mind to, to boost productivity in that re regard, is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. That, 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 makes a, that makes a bit of sense. 
but obviously there is there is always a slight worry when we're when we're dealing with altering the mind and you know designating how to improve the mind and you know where we place our emphasis in that regard especially if this has been market being marketed as a consumer product i don't know whether it is or not or whether it is you know going to be disseminated across the entire population or whatever happens but you know i think if it, if it is a consumer product that might cause yet another issue but i i, I don't know you could potentially have the problem of it making you think a certain way. So like if a product paid them, they could make their people who, the consumers, be more likely to buy that product, think that's the best product. Well, precisely. I mean, that's that's part of the issue with sort of rampant consumerism in a way is that, you know, there is a, there is a lot of that. And especially if things are, mm -hmm. especially if this technology, for example, is owned in private hands, which if it's being developed by Elon Musk, it almost certainly will be. That might cause... A lot of issues in that, you know, you're giving Elon Musk and Elon Musk's will, really, a lot of power over a lot of consumers within the populace. And we do have to be aware of that when embracing this technology. And I'm sure this technology would come in use for a lot of various issues. But I, I do think that we do have to be aware of one who's controlling and, you know, developing and responsible for, you know, administering this process. And two, well, are we designating a superior being as as, uh, as a certain thing uh, as opposed to you know having a necessary degree of moral and just general relativism i guess that makes sense take for example facebook if they don't agree with your values or don't like something you say they'll just kick you off their platform yes think of this for an example you are to have this done get all of your information through this and essentially all you know everything you've come to base yourself off of like knowing french knowing a certain field if you were to suddenly lose that where would that put you you would be essentially dehumanized well, in some ways, yes. I mean, in some ways, we have to have a very deep metaphysical discussion, I think, about what humanity means, what humanity is in its essence, whether or not, you know, that would affect our position in relation to the world if we could just, you know, download and shape our minds however we wanted them to be. I think, I think we do have to have that philosophical discussion before we go into these kind of technologies. So I, th I think that somewhat relates to what you're saying about learning skills and the values of that. And this flows nicely into what Mark Zuckerberg is trying to do with his new company as well, called the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub. Their goal is to eradicate disease in its entirety. So essentially make it where the world knows no disease. Okay. One of the interesting byproduct of this company is that in doing this, they're able to track all the neurons in your brain. Not only that, they're able to assign words to that so they can actually know what you're thinking. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting one. That is getting a bit... I, I wouldn't personally like Mark Zuckerberg to be knowing everything that I'm thinking. That's just my own personal opinion. So, you know, I might be slightly averse to that on, you know, on first thought. I understand that there are probably some decent motivations behind, you know, the development of this technology. But then again, we do have to be worried, just, just as I said before, about, you know, what does classify as disease? for one, because if we're dealing with, you know, neurodivergencies and all that kind of stuff, that is a 
gray area that we should not be sort of complacent about or, you know, flippant about. I guess the idea that it is in public, ha uh, in private hands as opposed to public hands, it's being owned by private corporations, which ultimately have, you know, one man at the top who has got, you know, absolute power over his, over his workers, whom he effectively exploits. If you're going by the Marxist analysis of capitalist society, which I am more inclined to do than perhaps you two. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, there are, there are numerous issues that I could, you know, see from this, but I think I think it's important for us to be aware of them. Whether or not this means halting the technology is 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 a different matter, because obviously there could be some 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 great benefits. I I do think, however, that one of the more important or more, one of the more profitable things for humans to do in relation to this would be to not necessarily nationalise, but allow some kind of well, actually, in my opinion, I I would say nationalise this kind of technological development, or you know, try and try and democratize it but you know I, I i don't know you you guys probably disagree on that so i i would be you know very happy to hear your opinions on the matter i think there just needs to be rules and regulations put in place before this product is out there that's saying what they can and cannot allow to do yeah i mean mm, good luck putting you know adequate rules and regulations in place when we have you know, governments, especially in, in the West, that are so reliant upon their own corporate funding, you know, appease those corporations to, to an excessive degree. So, so much so that, you know, many wars have been started, in fact, for the benefit of corporations and the military-industrial complex. That's another side to the government, I guess. Well, it actually goes further than just knowing what you're thinking. They're actually able to nudge your thoughts. They're able to implant words on your neurons. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, this is. Yeah, I I would say this is definitely uh, problematic. If it was owned in, if it was owned publicly, if it was socialized, and if you know the human race collectively had democratic control over this power, then I would not necessarily be opposed to it or s certain usage of it. However. If it's owned and directed and developed by Mark Zuckerberg, then I definitely do have an issue with it. Yeah, for, for me, I'm just very reluctant on this type of technology in general, whether it's in private or public hands. Yeah. Well, I mean, rightfully so in, in many ways. In Sweden, this company is allowing their employees to get a microchip. Their microchip will be their ID and their form of payment. They can just swipe their hand and, you know, they've paid for their groceries. I mean, that seems very convenient. It does. It does indeed. I mean, it, it seems like it would be good on numerous levels as well for, for example, pre preventing fraud and hacking and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, I'm sure that hackers will find some way or other to try and bypass the system. But, you know, uh, on, the, on the surface level, it's, it sounds pretty useful. See, my problem is that we're we're trading liberty for uh, security and convenience. And whereas, you know, security and convenience are nice things. T take China, for example. What they're doing is that they have this extensive facial recognition uh, software. So they mm -hmm. can have a camera just out in public. And if they see your face, they can link that to a database on everything they have on you. Well, they have yeah. a They have a lot on you especially with their yeah. upcoming social credit system, which essentially... Yes, I've heard about that, yes. Yes, yes. So they take all of your actions, like the people who you hang out with, who you talk to, what you do, 
whether you disagree or agree with the Chinese Communist Party, pretty much everything, and they sum it up in a number. And that mm. number will determine whether you get benefits or if you get punishment. So a benefit would be lower rates on loans, being able to travel more freely. But if you're really, really low on that score, you can be turned away from an airplane and trains. And mm. essentially, they will be able to keep you in your house at all times because you have no reason to go outside. Your face will be plastered on billboards throughout the city. This is the Chinese Communist Party saying this. Well, I think that, you know, there are numerous things to say. I think I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to defend this policy. However, what I will say is that the Chinese Communist Party, especially under Xi Jinping, have a very specific and rigid ideological vision that requires sort of efficient and, you know, orderly cooperation. Or else it, you know, it, it is in danger of, you know, becoming... It, as they would see, corrupted. And hence, they have to find ways to keep people within that line. I think that the Chinese Communist Party probably would frame that as it's for human benefit, because, you know, eventually when we do build this communist society, it will, everyone will be, you know, completely free as, you know, is is sort of inherent to the the end stage of communism, the upper uh, upper stage communism in Marxist terms. However, obviously, if you are not a Marxist, then you might take issue with that in saying, well, that stage is never going to come the way you're doing it. And hence, you know, it might it, it, it might be all for naught. It, it, it's sort of the it's all right if you want to argue that the ends justify the means. But if the ends never arrive, then that's another matter entirely. Now, I personally don't subscribe to the dialectical materialist model. I'm effectively not a Marxist, despite, you know, also wanting to achieve upper stage communism through through other means and other processes. So I might, you know, I, I have certain issues with this sort of rigid authoritarianism. However, you know, I think it's also worth considering the intentions of the Chinese government and what they might be, you know, trying to do in the long term as well as in the short term, even though I don't necessarily approve. I mean, that's my take on it. Yeah, yeah. And like for the U.S. government, recently they've asked Apple, Google, Facebook, I believe, and Amazon on all of the data for users who've interacted with this one app, which is supposed to like help you tune your site on your gun. I think the Taliban has been using this app. And in order to track these usages... The government's asking for all the data on this. This worries uh, gun owners because they'll essentially have a list of gun owners across the United States. And with mm -hmm. certain uh, people being very hostile to gun owners, this has become a big problem. Well, I think the thing is to remember here is that a lot of the rhetoric we see of people who are, you know, opposed to gun in ownership in the in the way that it is now. I personally, um, you know, I guess slightly party to that. I think those people, often the rhetoric is based around, well, we want to do this to prevent, you know, death, massacres, etc., etc. 
So I think that the idea that those people are at risk of, you know, seeing these lists and then going and killing them all or locking them up or, you know, causing massacres against them or whatever is would be extremely hypocritical on their part. And given that a lot of them and most of them, um, I would like to hope and like to think that they are very principled people. Generally, you know, those on the left tend to have, you know, a good deal of principle and from, from my own knowledge, at least. I would, I would hope that no, you know, severe action would be taken against those people, aside from, you know, trying to discuss and have a meaningful conversation or dialogue about whether or not gun ownership is truly something that is positive for the population as a whole, collectively, or, you know, negative in its ways. I'll keep in mind we're talking about politicians, so... Uh, that's true. A lot of politicians are not are not principled. But then again, you don't get many left-wing politicians, especially not in America. So that's another thing to remember. By your standards, at least. Well, yeah. I mean, the way I, I think about leftism generally is that leftism somewhat has to it, it, it someone it somewhat has to be against private property in the in the very nature of it really because if one is all right with the the ownership of the means of production and distribution as uh, privately as capital then that is you know inherently supporting and endorsing the capitalist system and if we're taking leftism to be an anti-capitalist force then I don't see how someone who is still all right with, you know, private property in the sense of businesses and, you know, not talking about personal property, by the way, personal property is fine, uh, but private property and capital and accumulation of wealth. I don't see how an, anyone who is in favor of continuing these, you know, practices could be considered leftist in my opinion, but, you know. <laughs> What's the difference between personal and private property? Uh, personal property is effectively the stuff that you use or stuff that you need and stuff that you use to sustain yourself and you, your own your own life and your own you know individuality and all of that kind of stuff. Private Why property... don't guns fall under that? Huh? Why don't guns fall under that? Well, the issue with guns is less about whether or not it's private or personal property, in, in my opinion, and more about the harm that it can do uh, unto others, which you know puts it into a difficult uh, into a different category entirely, because obviously there is a very rampant gun culture in America. I, 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 you, you might you guys might have a different view about that, but I, I believe that there is a there is a very problematic gun culture that you know has obviously led to the level of you know massacres mass shootings etc that we do see in america where we don't see for example in my own country britain i think that one of the only ways that we can try to change this sort of systemic institutional problem is by you know adjusting the public relationship to guns and i think within that we have to for one we have to consider you know, making guns more difficult to get hold of. And the other side of that is we also have to make sure that at some point, while, when it's, you know, safe and possible, the police force need to be disarmed because that in itself feeds into a very different uh, institutional problem. That's, that's my personal opinion on the matter. Guns are already in circulation here. Mm -hmm. For example, even though automatics are, you can't buy them anymore, 
I could still theoretically go buy one because there were some that were already in circulation beforehand and those have been grandfathered from the rules. So even if guns were made where you can't buy them anymore, there would still already be however many that were in circulation and we can't fully get rid of those. That's true. It's difficult to fully get rid of, you know, guns that are currently in circulation. However, there have been a lot of, you know, societies and a lot of countries across the world who have managed to implement it successfully. I know on America it's a completely different scale, and therefore it will probably take a much longer time. There'll be a lot more resistance, etc., etc. However, for example, looking at Australia, which did this one of the, mo one of the more recently... I think that overall, the long-term effects could probably be very positive in trying to dismantle gun culture. Though, obviously, it might be a bit of a, a, of a rocky start, but, you know, who are we if we don't try? <laughs> it wasn't so much ingrained in Australia culture like it is here? Well, I mean, the, the pro-gun pro activists in Australia at the time would very much disagree with you on that. Especially with, you know, what was what goes on in the outback. There's a similar, you know, uh, there's a similar attitude to, you know, the idea of hunting and protecting oneself from tyranny. Maybe not on the same level as in the US, but, you know, I think that what, you know, Australian gun activists were saying at the time was very much that they, they are an integral part of Australian culture, you know, and sort of the, the nature of the populace. I don't know whether or not they were, I, I mean, you can argue that they might have been bluffing, but at the same time, who's to say? It's, it, it's probably somewhat similar in regard to, you know, any nation where there is, you know, some uh, sort of a semi-gun culture that, you know, needs to be eventually uh, dis uh, disposed of. Well, where you might see that as an in institutional problem, I see it more as an individual problem. See, we're we're okay. talking more about taking away guns as a like a as a as a society, but we should really be talking more about mental health because that's really where most. Oh, of the absolutely, lie. absolutely. So long as we talk about mental health with a, with you know with with an adequate degree of rel relativism, then I totally agree with you, and. The, the the cuts to pub, public services, mental health services included, and also socioeconomic factors, which is undeniably a cause of, you know, certain serious crimes that are committed within society. And then you can also bring in the, the, the racial question in with that as well, and that, you know, with the current level of racial prejudice and racial tension that exists in American society, that can often lead to more violent crime being committed. But I think that that definitely should be a priority. We should be definitely talking about these things, and that's obviously extremely necessary. We do need to, you know, go back to the roots as to what's causing people to, you know, get their guns and shoot everybody. But at the same time, that runs slightly contrary to the capitalist system in many ways, or especially austerity programs or those who are opposed to, you know, significant public spending, which, you know, often the the capitalist class are very much opposed to because they, you know, they prefer to have everything in, in the private sector and, you know, they prefer tax cuts for the rich than they do services for the poor. So in that sense, trying to focus on that, I absolutely think we do 
do, I don't trust those in power to actually focus on those. And therefore, we do have to think somewhat pragmatically and think, well, what is the first stage we can take to try and prevent the same level of mass shootings, mass killings, etc., etc.? So uh, another topic is self-driving cars oh, okay. and how Silicon Valley are trying to create an ethics system. Essentially, the car will have information on the driver, well, quote unquote driver, the person in the next car in front of it, the person in the car behind it, and the people on the sidewalk. With all the uh, collective data that the car will have, if something were to happen, it would have to make a split second decision on essentially who lives and who dies. So it goes off of if you have any kids, if you're married, your benefit to society, all of that. Well, that is that is that is awful. I mean, talk about quantifying human life and, you know, deciding which life is to be taken and which is to be saved or whatever, and placing a numerical value on somebody's life, effectively commodifying it. That's a huge, you know, issue. So I, I am certainly opposed to that element of the technology. I mean, at the same time, I, I, I guess... I'd have to think about alternatives because I, I, I don't quite have one at the moment because I'm not sure what alternatives are possible for that technology. All I know is that that, that doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you know of any alternatives to this kind of system that could be put in place for, you know, uh, self-driving car incidents and such? I mean, just self-driving cars in general, I feel like there will be less human error. So there'll be less deaths overall. Yes, putting numbers on human lives is really bad, but it should overall bring death counts from oh, car yeah. crashes down, especially like drunk driving. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm totally not saying we should abandon self-driving cars as a result. I'm saying that is there anything that we can change within the technology, I guess, of self-driving cars or, or the programming of self-driving cars that would say, okay, you live, you die in case of a, you know, a terrible incident. And this kind of relates back to uh, what China is doing with a social credit program. They're quantifying a number for certain people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It's it's not good. I think, as I said before, the difference, I think, between this one and this one is, is oh, I guess I guess the self-driving car thing is also somewhat well motivated in to some degree, because obviously it's trying to make a decision that it deems to be you know, for the collective good, I guess. But I mean, at the same time, one is for, you know, a very deep-seated long-term ideological reason or ideological calling. Whether or not you want to discuss that as legitimate or not is, is a different matter. And one is <laughs> effectively not. So I, I, there is a slight bit of difference there. Though I do agree that, you know, quantification of humanity and human life is generally a very bad thing. That reminds me of that social experiment where you have the doctor and then you have the three people who need different organs and the one person who comes in and has the organs for those people. Does the doctor like not treat the person and use their organs to save the other three or does it save the person let the other three die? It reminds me of that. Oh no, it's, it is a very strange conundrum. First of all, we have to discuss, well, do the, do the ends justify the means? Well, that's that's a question within itself. I mean, what are, what are all the implications? Can we even know all of the implications of, you know, what the ends will be 
that's a that, that's a discussion that needs to be had. But yeah, it's it, 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 it there is a philosophical conundrum in that. Yeah, I've noticed that you know China is kind of going down the road of 1984, and you know America, it's more or less going down the、uh, the Brave New World. I feel like 1984, that society was worse than a Brave New World society, but that just might be because, like what you said. Yeah,、uh, I mean, it, I, 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 I'm not so sure we're at dystopia quite yet. I think that all across the world there is a certain that there there are very systemic issues with the way that humans. Relate to one another in a social sense. I, I I think that's that's worldly. Often it's due to you know capitalistic consumeristic reasons, but obviously socialism is no、um, or or socialism in a、uh, the sense in which you see it in China or wherever is not exactly that much better because it's still based upon a very volatile hierarchy. Is it is definitely responsible for provoking an immense amount of econ or economic slash. Social, I suppose, in individualism. Don't don't confuse that with individuality. But you know, individualism, which in in itself will you know, entice people into you know, resorting you know, thinking about things in a very materialistic sense and other people in that sense and individual individualistic centered sense. That that, in my opinion, is a big issue. But it's an issue with hierarchy, my in my, in my opinion. That, that the, you may have noticed that through this conversation, the issue for me generally stems back to hierarchy in some form or other. So you know. <laughs> So let's、uh, let's go on to the next topic. Kaylee, would you like to present yours? Oh, the vaping one. Yes. So basically, lots of teens are being put in the hospital for vaping, and I believe it said six of them have died. Yeah, I heard about that. Just in the last little bit, Donald Trump, the president, is planning on banning the flavored vaping, like the cotton candy flavor and the stuff that's making it so popular. That's an interesting one, though. I mean, it's probably not great to attach glamour to these kind of things. So, I mean, in that sense, I can kind of understand where he's coming from. On the other side, what well, what are the downsides to banning this kind of stuff, or for that matter, the criminalization of any illegal drug in relation to you know who has control over it, whether or not this can lead to you know deaths and and sort of un unregulation in that field or no, no regulation and the consequences of that because you know. They might still be available. So I mean, it's it's a it's a deep issue here, and I understand what Trump is trying to do. I don't necessarily know whether it will be productive, because I do, I I don't for one know the、yeah. addictiveness of vaping as bad as cigarettes or worse or better or whatever. I'm, I I assume neither of you vape, so you know. <laughs> No. Nope. Good. Okay. <laughs> well, that's that's good to know. Um. Well, that that's one point we can all be in agreement on. You know, vaping <laughs> is bad. Vaping is just generally bad, and you know that the the same goes for pretty much any illegal drug in that they are bad for oneself and you know should be encouraged against. However, it's difficult for us to encourage and you know mediate effectively with those people who happen to be addicts. If if it's all done 
illegally and illicitly because you know if for example we were to legalize recreational drugs that would give organizations like the government or you know any democratically elected body control over how much they allow people to or addicts to you know put into their body so that they don't you know die would help them find a path to recovery it would help them do it safely without contracting hiv aids etc in that sense it would be it would be quite useful for the for the government to have some sort of control over these substances in a, in a way that they can't really do if it's illegal now obviously vaping is a different issue because the chemicals which one is addicted to when vaping is legally available elsewhere in cigarettes it's a slightly different issue and i'm not entirely sure where i stand on it but i think you know it's it's a conversation that needs to be had before we go ahead and ban it or before we decide to enroll the new flavor or whatever it happens to be so you know we we do we do as a society need to have a discussion about this kind of thing the thing with vaping is it was actually put into place for people who are addicted to cigarettes. Yeah. So it was supposed to be a way to like not have cigarettes anymore. And so my generation and y'all's generation mm-hmm. p- were pretty good at not a lot of us were smoking. And then the vaping came in and it became a trend. And I don't know if it's like this, but at my hometown in high school, it got so bad that during pepper rallies, they were not allowing the students to go to the restrooms because at one point, one of the teachers walked into the restrooms during a pepper rally and about six kids were just standing in the restroom vaping. It's very addictive and it's very bad and it's very easy for people who are under 18 to get. Yeah. So I know one way they're trying to stop it was they bumped the smoking age in general up to 21. And that is in effect this September, so this month, I guess, Mm. maybe? I mean, it's... I think, I'm guessing it was less than 21 before. It was 18. So I think I'm still grandfathered, but I'm not completely sure. I haven't looked into laws because, you know, I don't smoke, yeah. so I, was, I wasn't worried about it. It's quite, it's quite strange that you're allowed to smoke from 18, but you can't drink until you're 21. It seems a bit, you know, that <laughs> seems a bit weird. But, you know. Okay, so on the drinking, though. You can drink, at least in Texas, you can drink if your parents give you permission. Like, even in public, if your parents are there and yeah. the guardian's there, they hand you a drink. Well, I mean, in, in the United Kingdom, it is le- you are legally allowed to consume alcohol on, under various circumstances from the age of five. It doesn't mean, you know, obviously that five-year-olds are, you know, raging alcoholics for obvious yeah. reasons. Because that has to be, you know, it has to be in a home. It has to be on the parents, you know, conditions, etc., etc. Et so, you know. Or religious reasons? Um, well, I mean, that, that goes into parental consent, really. It's, it's a very similar thing. Okay. Also, I, 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 I would like to go back to just, just one thing about the whole decriminalization of drugs and stuff. So that one thing to relate it to what we said before about guns. I think the difference between the two, people might be thinking, you know, oh, well, if I'm, if I'm all right with legalizing drugs to have control over them, but not guns, then what I would say in that regard is, well, drugs are something that more commonly uh, are a form of self-harm as opposed to rampant harm to a community or to other people who have no, you know, part to play in that culture. So in that sense, there's a question of free will that has to be brought into the conversation, you know. That was just 
that that's just a footnote, by the way, just to clarify that in case anybody decides to think that I'm being hypocritical in saying any of that. But who knows? I'm protecting my own skin before I even need to. How about that? I wouldn't even been thought of those as like relating because they are two completely different arguments in my yeah, mind. Yeah, that's that that, that 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 seems to be the case. But you know, I, I I have had I have to be used to this kind of stuff now because, you know, I I I don't know if you guys know this, um, Tan, and you probably do, but obviously I have a very specific political position that barely anybody is familiar with. And so a lot of people think that they can one-up me on what I believe. So I have to be prepared to try and save my own skin where I can. <laughs> but, you know. So going back to the vaping. Yes, that's, right? a good, that's a good thing to go back to. <laughs> Sorry for getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the vaping, one thing is, so the nicotine flavors and the base flavors would not be banned. It would just be like the cotton candy flavor, the mint flavor all the side ones and the hope is that that would make it go back down mm. but in reality there's seeing still more rise on the places where there's less selling of the cotton candy stuff teens are still getting it well i mean if we think about you know for example cigarette packets they um like for example in australia they they can't have anything on the cigarette packets aside from the warning you can't have any like design on it or anything uh not even the brand name i think I, or i'm not entirely sure on that obviously in britain you're not allowed cigarette advertising probably the same in the states as well and uh obviously there's a big label saying smoking can kill etc etc in britain and i'm sure in america too and i think that going along that line it, one thing that they could do in regard to vapes to sort of continue this trend is by making vapes taste intentionally terrible so that <laughs> so as to try and dissuade it from becoming a you know a glamorous thing that would sort of follow the trend but uh, i don't know uh, <laughs> that's one idea i guess here i don't I, I think you're right about we don't have any ads for cigarettes but like you walk into any convenience store or grocery store and behind the cashier is just like entire like a wall of just cigarettes. <laughs> so I mean, that's basically advertising in itself. I, I I mean, I guess so. Do they do they have the labels on saying smoking kills, smoking can seriously harm your health, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Yeah, and they also had the um, can't buy unless you're 18. We ID oh, check yeah, of course. slash now it says 21. Um, but I it, I think it's just like a little warning underneath. I don't think it's like in your face. No. It kills, but everyone knows. No one looks at it and it's like that doesn't kill me everyone knows yeah i think in britain the law is and i might be very wrong on this because i've never bought cigarettes so i don't really have much knowledge of this but i think in britain you, it, the warning label has to be like about half of the packet but i i'm not entirely sure about that it, it has to be very prominent at least um i can check for the u.s one at least yeah okay no it just looks like it it just looks like it has the big label and like the design on it. I don't see a warning label prominent on the package. No. I think it's just a sign next to it. Oh, right. So it's I mean it probably it probably has there on there on the back somewhere, but like it's not prominent mm. on here. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's it's not great. Not great at all. Does the UK have the thing where um when you're born if like whatever gender it is you hand out cigars what 
Okay, so at least it was like this. I don't think they do it so much anymore, but whenever I was little, when you had a baby, you handed out cigars. I've never heard of that one before. <laughs> I'm having... Okay. Um, well, yeah, we still have some of the cigars from when I was a kid like that said, um, it's a girl, because like, it's like the announcement. I've actually never heard of that either. Really? Yeah. I'll see if it's just something weird that my family did. Maybe, maybe it is your family. <laughs> maybe you should stop being suspicious. It wasn't like a smoking thing. It was like, this is just what you do. Yeah, handing out cigars after a baby. Hmm. Huh. Dad's passing out cigars. The passing of cigars can be seen as marking the father's something into society. Fathers go into the ritual of seclusion when babies are born. Yeah, it's cigars when babies are born. You pass out cigars to announce the birth of a new baby. Fun. Hmm. Uh, that's, an, that's an interesting one. No, it's not fun. That's another example of where my, uh, where my stock responses don't tend to work out. Like, like before, the, <laughs> before the show, just to give the audience context, we were, we were, doing, we were doing a little bit of preparation. And um, I think someone said something about death or some other morbid topic, and my reply was <laughs> wonderful. So, um, you know, uh, it strikes again. I, my, uh, my impulses are coming back to bite. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, you would pass it out when at the waiting room at the hospital, but like the big deal was you would pass it out at work. The next oh, okay. Day you went to work. Yeah, that that just seems weird to me. Probably because I've never heard of it before. But you know, no, it's it's really weird. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's pretty good. Tannen, do you have anything to 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 say on this topic? No, I think all two covered it great. <laughs> great, wonderful. I realize I've been talking a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Kaylee, I, I believe you yeah. have another topic for us. Oh! So, Marvel is owned by Disney, right? Well, Sony owns Spider-Man, or has the rights to Spider-Man. And so, after Far From Home, the contract for Marvel being able to use Spider-Man in the MCU ran out. And Disney, whenever they were trying to, like, reinstate the contract, Disney said they wanted more money, and Sony said they said no. And so, now there's a argument basically mm -hmm. over how now disney can't use spider-man in the mcu and sony's basically said we're done trying to work this oh, out with disney. i i love it mm. when big corporations you know get at each other's throats you know divide and conquer i say divide and conquer <laughs> people are so mad I, i'm sure they are you know it's, it's it's part of the I guess part of the part of what this shows is you know when when big corporations struggle you know the the victim is ultimately the consumers that are dependent upon them you know um, well you know I, I I don't have much good to say about Disney or about Sony about Spider Man <laughs> oh, oh Spider Man I've got a good few things to say about <laughs> Spider Man good uh, you know I, I'm sure he's a decent bloke you know um, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Good old chap, but you know, um, <laughs> yeah. I think that I, I think that with Sony and Disney, I mean, both are you know partake in rampant exploitation of their workers. I have no respect for either of them, um, <laughs> and honestly, I would like it if they crippled each other. But obviously, I don't think that that's going to happen over Spider-Man alone. Sadly or gladly, depending on your position. <laughs> um, so you know. Yeah. That's all I really have to say about the topic. <laughs> I think the fans are more upset about the fact that um, did 
um, Marvel, the MCU universe, had just entered stage two. And Tom Holland as Spider-Man was supposed to be basically the new Iron Man. And everyone was so excited he was going to be like, it was going to be like this whole thing with like Spider-Man instead of Iron Man. And everyone was like so excited. And then this happened. And now I think Sony's trying to get Tom Holland for Spider-Man. I don't know. I haven't heard of what he said about it. I haven't really looked into that. Hmm. But I know, like, they already have, like, plans for a new Spider-Man movie and stuff. Unless that's changed in the past, like, two weeks since I last checked. Well, I, I, I do actually have one contribution um, to this topic. And that is Big Oof. Yeah, honestly, same, though. <laughs> but, yeah, wonderful. Anyway, I think we've reached an hour now, haven't we? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. What great timing. We didn't get to talk about any of my stuff, but never <laughs> mind. We'll do that later. Oh, well. I'm, I, I'm, I'm totally emotionally hurt on the inside. <laughs> Don't you worry. Good. That was the plan. I, I know. I know. I mean, emotion, emotionally cripple me so that you can, you know, walk all over me. Uh, who knows? Maybe that's a good plan. Maybe you should actually do that to <laughs> shut me up next time. You know, that might actually work. Um, but anyway, this was really fun. I hope that you guys have fun and the audience have fun. And why am I... Be- why am I trying to be the host? Oh, that's not my job. Tannen, please. No, no, no. Take it away. Oh, okay. All right, then. Uh, well, in that case, well, it was a lot of fun to talk about a numerous range of topics and, you know, obviously a lot of very topical and important discussions that need to be had both on our level and also societally. And they, they were all fun to talk about, despite being in places somewhat pessimistic. Uh, but generally, I hope you enjoyed as an audience and we will see you or look forward to you listening to our next podcast or maybe maybe even our video that's upcoming. Um, so yeah, that's great. Did I do good, guys?